So we're kicking off our Joseph series today, a series on Joseph, God the Tailor and Joseph's Righteous Threads. We are uh, going to be talking, there's 13 chapters in Genesis uh, given to the story of Joseph. There's a few things you need to know about the story of Joseph before we dive in. Um, a few things for us here that are kind of introduction to the series, first of all. And that's that there's a scripture that you're going to hear every Sunday. It's three verses from Isaiah. Isaiah has nothing to do with Joseph per se. Uh, but the theme that we find in these three verses speaks uh, profoundly to the theme that you find running through the story of Joseph. And so we're going to be using it somewhat as a theme scripture. And each week you're going to hear someone else stand up and read this scripture. Because at first blush, you don't, you know, first take, you don't get the full depth of this scripture. It's one we have to repeat. And so there's going to be this weird thing that happens before every sermon where I'm going to ask someone, not right on the spot, I'll ask people ahead of time, um, to, to be willing to read, and they'll stand up and they'll read this verse, okay? And just randomly read this verse, and then we'll go in to the story to kind of remind us of the theme. Pam, you want to do it next week? <laughs> awesome. Pam's on next week. Sweet, got that lined up. Um, so uh, Isaiah 61, 9 to 11 is the scripture. So... We're going to start today, our first time, we're going to read this thing together. That's how we're going to do it for the first time. So um, you can stay seated because we're going to have another time where we read our text for today where you're going to stand up with me. But right now you can stay seated and we're going to read this thing together, okay? We'll stay starting with the reference. Isaiah 61, 9 through 11. Their descendants will be known among the nations. Their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For He has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the Sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. Okay, so we'll be hearing that and you'll understand more and more as we go what that has to do with the story of Joseph. Second thing is there's this painting. When we, were, we have a second service planning team, uh, the, all the, in the services as we go through a sermon series, we kind of outline a service, this sermon series, and I'll say these are the things I think we're going to go through. Josh and I will talk about like what's the themes of these passages. Then we bring it to the table, and uh, Matt Willauer and Shelby and I get around, and we start thinking creatively around how to communicate and that type of thing. And as we thought about this sermon series, you'll understand this thing has very much to do with God as an artist, as a tailor who's designing uh, clothing for uh, for uh, Joseph, this, the story we just read, the verses we just read, talked about garments of salvation and robes of righteousness. And, you know, when you think about Joseph, oftentimes one of the things you think about is the colorful robe that Joseph wore, the Technicolor dream coat. And uh, when we were going through this series, we thought, you know what, it'd be good to have a piece of art that kind of depicts what it is that, uh, that we're seeing happening in the theme of the story. So a church that I formerly served at, Cornerstone Christian Fellowship, which is out in Lebanon is part of the network we're a part of called Netzer, uh, and uh, 
Jay, the pastor there, is a good buddy of mine, and they have a community of artists at that church who work on stuff. So I called them up and asked them, to, I told them kind of what we were looking at and asked them to make us a piece of art. So this is the piece of art that they made for us. This is Joseph with the coat, not the coat that Jacob made, but the coat that his, his heavenly father was making for him that you can see the uh, character, character qualities that God's weaving into his coat. And so that will help us understand a little bit. You'll understand that painting more and more as the series goes on. And we'll put this on display somewhere in the church during the during the uh, series, and you can get a little closer to it. There's a lot of words written in there and stuff. You can kind of check it out at some point. So those are um, two things that will be happening through the series you need to know about. Now, it's the beginning of the series, and this is, I, I was, Josh and I were talking about this, and there's a, there's a theme. Before you start talking about Joseph, there's a theme when it comes to the story of Genesis, which is where Joseph is found in the book of Genesis. And in order to understand Joseph well, you have to understand Genesis at least to a degree. See, there's uh, two really huge principles when it comes to interpreting Scripture. First one is when you crack open the Bible, you pray. And you ask God to guide you and to help you understand it. Because He's the author and He's right there with you. So He can, it, it, it comes alive if He's there with us. Second thing is context. We have to understand the context of what's being written. We can read the scripture and make it say whatever we want, but if we understand what the context of what it's all about, it really helps us understand what this thing meant when it was written. So, in order for us to understand Joseph, we need to understand a little bit about the book of Genesis. So, you know, when, I was, when we were talking about this, Josh was like, oh yeah, I can talk about the theme of Genesis. Josh is our resident Old Testament scholar, and so he knows all about Old Testament. He studied it, has his master's in it, and all that stuff. And so, like, his mind, you know, he... He would like probably to take the next six months to talk about the, the first chapter of Genesis or something and all the different Hebrew words within it. And our heads would be spinning and we would be incredibly blessed. And someday he'll probably teach a class that does that for us, those of us who are adventurous and uh, ready to dig in. Um, but we need the cliff notes from Josh right now. This is kind of like at the beginning of uh, the Star Wars movies when... The, 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 actually, this is what Josh said. He's like, oh, what? I was saying, like, you know, give us a little bit of Genesis. And he starts going off. I'm like, maybe a little less of Genesis. Holy cow. You know? And he's like, you're looking for, like, that thing at the beginning of Star Wars where it says a long time in a galaxy far, far away. And it gives you, like, the cliff notes of what happened before. I'm like, that's what we're looking for. So Josh is going to come and give us enough of the uh, background of Genesis so that we can understand Joseph. All week I practiced trying to sound like James Earl Jones. For those of you who don't know, he's the guy who, uh, he's Darth Vader, you know? And he has that uh, snorkel thing. Yeah, anyway. I didn't get anywhere with that, so you're just going to hear the, the, the resonant Old Testament expert. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, the first part of the Bible, first 11 chapters of the Bible, they, they basically are, you know, this place is empty, God creates a couple people, and he says, have kids, Right? <laughs> Steve and I meet once a week, and Steve is now reading Genesis. More of us should do that. Anyway, uh, yeah, the, 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 the people, they have babies. And that's what the book of Genesis is honestly about, having kids. And they have kids, but their kids start to fight, and their kids fight so much that the world really seriously blows up. By the time you get to the sixth chapter of the Bible, uh, Genesis actually let, tells us that the imaginations of every human person, every, every life, the, every imagining of their heart was evil, okay? 
So if you're wondering how bad things can get, if you're one of those people who are like, man, it is not like 1953. Things have gotten worse around here. Genesis records a much worse time. The world just literally falls apart. And God starts what is really very much a resistance movement. He comes to this guy named Abraham and he says, listen, I'm going to plant you on this specific piece of land and I'm going to make you a nation. That's what I'm going to do. And if you will follow me, you will be the start of this great big nation, the people of God. Uh, Tim read for us Isaiah chapter 61, and it's talking about these descendants and the nations of the earth worshiping God, still going back from this one promise that God gave in Genesis chapter 12 to a guy named Abraham. Now the thing is, as soon as that gets off the ground, God has to develop a plan, so he's going to take these people and he's going to make them into a nation. But to get from A, Abraham is old and doesn't have any kids, to B, a great nation is going to take some doing. And so as you walk through the story of Genesis, it's how God walks through that plan. For instance, when you read the story of Abraham, he gets to the place God tells him to be, to this, to this nation where he's going to have kids and develop into a nation. It's a piece of ground today. It's Israel. And he actually skids right past it, past it and ends up in Egypt, down by the Nile River. Exactly the wrong nation. Okay, And then his wife, for whatever reason, can't have kids, and she lasts all the way till she's 90 without having children. So God's nation-building plan just isn't working out, right? When, somebody, when a woman gets to be 90 years of age, Barb, you're a nurse. No. Okay, she said, no, we have an expert opinion. She really is an expert. And she said that will not work. But in fact, it did. And when, when God was trying to get these people to have kids, eventually, because of God's miraculous power, Sarah, Abraham's wife, has a kid. Now, in every generation, there's Abraham, there's Isaac, there's Jacob, and Jacob's, one of his sons, he has uh, 12, one of his sons is named Joseph, and that's who we're going to start talking about in this teaching series. But... In Abraham's life, the problem is that he can't have kids. And the solution is that God works to that. Now, the interesting thing is his son Isaac, his, Isaac's wife also can't have kids. And similar to Abraham, he gets kicked off of his land. There are these guys who start stealing as well. So how many of you know that the Middle East is not necessarily the place with a lot of water? Okay? And these people come along and they continue to take Isaac's wells and they kick him off of the land. And Isaac has to recede back and back and back until he's kind of in this little area. And he's wondering, does God even care about this plan that he has? Because he's wondering, will, will, will my people survive? Well, Isaac's wife can't have kids either and she waits a, a few decades. But eventually she has kids. She has twins. And one of those kids is named Jacob. Now the problem in this tier of the story is that Jacob and Esau fight so bad Esau is his twin brother, that Jacob has to flee the land because Esau is going to kill him. And now again, you have God's people on the wrong piece of ground and they're not having kids. Do you follow what's taking place? This book is all about people having kids and they can't have kids. In fact, Jacob's second wife, he has two, not something I think is a good idea, but he has two wives and his second wife, guess what she can't do? She can't have kids. But then the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 30 that God remembered her. And there's this moment when, very similar to the two other women that haven't been able to have children before, God remembers her and she has a child. And of course, that baby is a special baby. Now, it's at that point that I have to tell you that we have officially gotten to the Star Wars place, Star Wars place where the words have ended. You know what I'm talking about? The, the screen is now black and just all these stars because we are now to Joseph. But that's the whole story of Genesis. It's about God getting a nation of people. God getting people who he can call his own in the place where he wanted them to be. And so Tim's going to share with us about Joseph, but it comes after all of this thought about having children and uh, 
a lot of things going wrong and God making it go right, even through adversity. Let's pray. God, we bless your name. We thank you for your story. We thank you for your word. And we open your word now. And like we said with the principles of interpretation, we just ask that your spirit would be with us and help us to understand it. In Jesus' name, amen. So now the movie starts. And here's my idea of the movie, okay? This is, my, this is the movie I'm going to make someday. And I'm going to get rich and famous. And I'm going to be out of here. When I, uh, um, <laughs> the, here's the movie. The name of the movie is Jake, okay? Jake. Now, it's one of these movies where there's like four different plot lines happening. There's four different main characters, and you have no idea what they have to do with each other. And they all have different plots. And you're watching the movie, you're watching each of their lives taking place. And at first, you never see one of the other characters in the other plot line. But then every now and then, like, you'll see the one girl, Susie, she picks up her phone and she's calling someone and she's talking to this guy, Johnny. Well, in the next scene, you see this guy, Johnny, who's talking on the phone to a girl named Susie. And you're like, is that, is that the same, like... And, you know, and then after a while, they, there's more and more crossover. They start referring to each other. And then it starts to become clear that these four people are actually siblings. They're brothers and sisters. And you're like, whoa, did not know that. You know, and it starts unraveling. And then what's really cool is by the end, you start to get the perspective that they all have of themselves and the perspective they have of each other. So over here, Johnny like, is all important in his own eyes. You know, and life revolves around Johnny. And so, like, Susie is like, yeah, I got to deal with Susie, you know. And um, over here is Susie, whose life is not, she doesn't think quite as highly of herself, but she thinks really highly of her brother, you know. And you see the perspective of the one who's, like, the dominating one and the one who's, like, this, like, one who wants to help out and how they all interact. And you get to see all the dynamics of how the family interacts. And as they go through these different events in their plot line, you see how they interact with one another. And the one's really concerned about the other one's life and the other one doesn't seem all that concerned. And all this stuff's happening. And as it comes together, you're like, wow, this is really family life. Okay? And, and you start to see it. It really describes family life. And, and that guy's me and that guy's my sister. And you start seeing where you are in the whole thing. The last scene is this. Susie was out, uh, and she was out in a, uh, on a date with her husband. And it was Saturday, and they went to see a matinee. And they come home from the matinee, it's the afternoon, and they get home, and their kids are being watched by Grandpa. And so they walk in, and it's weird, because you walk in, and you realize at this point that you've never seen Grandpa before, and you know it, because when you walk in, the actor's Robert Redford. Okay, actually, I didn't know who the actor was in the first service. I said, give me a name of some actor. And they were like, Robert Redford. I'm like, perfect. Okay, so it's Robert Redford. So I'll have to, somebody will have to get royalties on that part of it. You know, on the casting, I'll have to give it. Um, so anyway, the, you walk in, and all of a sudden, Robert Redford's there with the kids. And you're like, wow, you know, we haven't seen him yet. And it's the end of the movie. And Robert Redford, it, it, the kids are all upset because it's time for Grandpa to leave. You know, and they're like, no, we don't want you to leave, Grandpa. And he picks him up and gives him a big hug. And he goes over and he kisses his daughter. And he shakes his son-in-law's hand, winks at him, and steps out the door. This is the closing scene. And as he comes in, he closes the door. Over here in the house next door, in the driveway, is this guy who's under the hood of his car. And he's working on his car. Something's wrong with the car. And he hears the door shut. And he looks up. And he sees Robert Redford. And he says, hey, I'm having a problem with my car. Can you, can you give me a hand, Jake? 
and the movie ends. And it's the first time you ever heard the word Jake. It's the first time you saw Robert Redford. And all of a sudden you start to say, why the heck was this movie named Jake? And you start looking back and you realize that each one of these plot lines started with something they were saying about their dad or some conversation they had that you didn't know they were, that it was dad on the other end of the phone, but that the whole thing, the whole entire story wasn't actually about these siblings. It was about their dad. And it was about the family, his family and his legacy. And you realize that behind every scene that we've seen, what was actually taking place was this was about Jake. That's the story of the Bible. That's how it works. There's all these stories of people all throughout the Bible. And you see the stories and you read all about them. And sometimes you see God in them. Sometimes you don't understand where God is in it. You don't understand what's going on. When the whole story of Esther, a whole book dedicated to the book of Esther, and God's never mentioned in the whole book, but He is, implicitly. He's underneath it there. The story of Joseph starts in Genesis chapter 37. This is our text for today. It's going to be a one, one and a half verses. If you know me, usually I read a whole chapter. Um, and I have you stand up during the reading, and I'm going to have you do that again. Usually you have to stand up for a while because I'm reading a whole chapter. But today we're reading a verse and a half. There's going to be 13 chapters dedicated to Joseph in this thing, but we're only tackling a verse and a half, so we're going to have to make up some ground later on. You know? So you can stand with me now as we read the first verse and a half. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. That's verse 1. Now, I've got to take a break and tell you something real quick. Jacob. Anybody know who Jacob's dad was? Josh was just talking about it. Isaac. Anybody know who Isaac's dad was? Abraham. So we've got the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So what it says here is that Jacob lived in the land where his father, that's Isaac, had stayed. That's the land of Canaan. That's the land where Abraham journeyed to, where he raised the knife on his son because God commanded him to. You know, that's, that's the land it's talking about. So it's giving us context. It's picking up on the, on the Star Wars thing that Josh just gave us. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of... Jacob. And then the next line says, Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers. You can have a seat. What's amazing is that this whole story about Joseph starts off with this line, this is the story of Jacob. Jake! There's the movie. I ripped it off from the Bible. I, you know? And um, <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> It inspires everything. You know, the Bible inspires everything. So, uh, anyway, what's amazing is that we watch Joseph's life unfold over 13 chapters. We watch his brother and all this interaction. And yet when he, God kicks the whole thing off, he doesn't say this is the story of Joseph. He says this is the story of Jacob. And this is kind of how it works in God's kingdom. This is how it works in the story of Scripture. This is how it works in reality. You see, what happens is, is that Jacob, we'll get into this next week. Next week we'll hear about all the family issues that, that were in Jacob's family. But really, this whole story starts with Jacob's actions. 
You remember how it all starts. There's turmoil and there's struggle in the family and how the brothers treat each other. And you remember why? Anybody remember why? What? Jealousy. There's jealousy. And the reason was because Jacob loved one more than the rest. And that sets up the rest of the story. Had he not done that, the story of Joseph doesn't happen. Joseph never goes to Egypt. Joseph never gets beat up by his brothers. Joseph never gets tempted by Potiphar. Joseph never lands the second biggest position in Egypt. None of it ever happens except for the fact that Jacob got the ball rolling. This isn't a story about Joseph. This is a story about Jacob. It's how Jacob's decisions affect his family. What's more is, is it's not just a story about Jacob. It's a story about Abraham and his promise that God had given to him and about Israel, the nation of Israel. But what's more is, is that it's not just about Abraham and about Israel. It's about Adam and about humanity and God's plan of what he's doing in humanity. And at the beginning of this story, it doesn't say this is the story of Joseph. It says this is the story of Jacob. And at the beginning of the book of Genesis, it says that in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is the story of God. See, this is how it works. God, in this situation, he's a tailor. Let me give you some context. The jealousy happened because Jacob gave his son this wonderful coat that we all know about, that is sung in the musical about, you know? Th this amazing coat. But God is also designing something for Joseph's life. And it can be akin to a coat. See, what happens is... is he makes this amazing coat and then there's all the turmoil and the, to the coat gets torn up as soon as the turmoil's there and it gets thrown back at Jacob the dad with blood all over it in order to deceive him. And his love for his son is mixed with sin and selfishness and so the coat, the garment that he's trying to make for his son doesn't turn out well. God, on the other hand, is also the father of Joseph and he also is trying to design something beautiful for this son that he loves. And as he designs a life for Joseph, when the turmoil comes and when the difficult time comes, instead of that leading to the garment being torn apart, what God does is he's like, I'll take the hatred of your brothers. I'll take the temptation of Potiphar's wife. I'll take this situation and that situation and I'll take my thread of redemption and I will weave for you a robe of righteousness. And at the end of your life, you will be wearing garments of salvation and robes of righteousness. And for all of time, people will look at the robe that I made for you. And instead of it being torn apart by adversity, I use the adversity to build into you my character, my goodness. What's amazing is, is this testimony of Joseph gets set apart. It stands apart. It's an amazing story that's almost a type of Christ. We begin to see Christ's characteristics all the way back here in the story of Joseph. We begin to see the thread of redemption that is culminated in the cross with Jesus, but we begin to see that redemption happening in the story of Joseph because when God begins to weave and when he begins to tailor, it's not just for me and my robe of righteousness. It's a big story. This is how it works. God gives us this robe, but the robe is actually a costume. It's a costume that goes with a dance. And the dance is not just a dance. The dance is actually part of this song. You know, you know how like some songs have dances that go with it, like the Macarena or 
something like that, that electric slide, you know? They have like, there's a song and a specific dance goes with it. There's this song. And the song has a dance that goes with it. But that dance, you have to have this costume for the dance. But that song is not just a song, it's part of a story. Like if you read the, the Lord of the Rings, they'll write these songs in the story, you know? And there's this song that's in the story, and the story is written by God. And the story is written by God, but then there's this song and there's this dance that goes with it and you've got to have this robe. And our part is he's making us a robe. But there's such a bigger picture that all fits together. Another way to look at it is there's a tapestry that's, that's the history of God's story. And in that tapestry is some quilt work, patch quilt work in the middle of it. And in the middle of that patch quilt work is this little robe that he designed. And that's my robe, you know? But it's a part of this big quilt that's a part of this bigger tapestry. And the threads that make the tapestry of the plot line of God's plan for humanity also come through in my life and the clothing that he's making for me. It's amazing what happens when God goes to work. He sets apart his people. Joseph, when, when God gets a hold of his life, not only does he build this character into him, but he accomplishes these amazing things through Joseph's life. And Joseph didn't know they were coming, of course. You know, it was only hindsight that you see what all God was accomplishing. But now we look and we see, not just like Joseph's a great guy, we see the power of God to accomplish what it is that he wants to accomplish. How many of you believe that God has a plan for your life today? Raise your hands. You believe that God has a plan for your life. God, this is the deal. I, you know, I, I want to ask you another question. Is God's plan for your life more about some specific things that he wants you to accomplish? Or is it more about the type of person that he wants you to be? Both. Both. Yeah, that's, it's tough, right? There, Ephesians 2.10 says this. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works that he has preordained for us to accomplish. So God has works that he specifically wants us to accomplish. There are things with our lives that he wants to accomplish through our lives. And he's given us time on earth here to work those things out. It also says in Leviticus 11:44, he says, Be holy, for I myself am holy. He wants us to be a certain kind of people because we're in his family. And in this family, this is how we roll because this is the Father and he wants us to reflect his image. And what he wants is that any person who identifies themselves with the name of Yahweh, with the name of Jesus, with the name of Christ, that they reflect the character of that God. They become the image of God seen on earth. So he wants us, his plan for our life is both to live a certain way and to accomplish certain tasks. Now, we shouldn't have to get a memo from God, a specific memo that says, hey, in this situation, I want you to live this way. We, we shouldn't need that. He already tells us, like, this is how I want your life to be lived, you know, in love and justice and mercy and all these different things. And so we just do it. But the problem is, is that we can't just do it because we're fallen people who need help. So... What he does is, is he also gives us jobs to accomplish. And we start working on the jobs, doing what he's asked us to do. And in the process, he teaches us character. We talked about this last week. For those of you here, when we were talking about the building project that we potentially are, 
are diving into at this point. We talked about if the vision is just having another building and a bigger building and having more people, then that's pointless. That's not what God's all about. But if we see this as, okay, there's family housekeeping we have to take care of. We continue to grow and expand, and so we need to have this building. But in the process, we look for how God wants to teach us and change us. Then this becomes not just about a building. It becomes about growing to clo- closer to God and closer to one another as we engage in this family project. So if my sons end up in athletics or in music, it's not whether or not they win the competition. It's that this now creates a venue where they can learn discipline, where they can learn character, where they can learn perseverance, they can learn how to win, they can learn how to lose. And God has a plan for each of our lives. And it's twofold. It's both specifically that he wants to accomplish things through us, legitimately. And it's also that in the process, he wants to develop us as people so that we can reveal his character. God has a plan not only for me, but he has a plan for this world, doesn't he? Without a raise of hands, I mean, you can nod your heads. How many of you believe God has a plan for the world? Yeah, yeah, I saw some hands raised anyway. They're just like, yes, I'll raise my hand. You know, God has a plan for the world. So, does he have a plan for the Schuylkill Valley that we live in? Yeah. Does he have a plan for Parker Ford Church? How much does his plan for your life intersect his plan for the world? You see, I believe that the Schuylkill Valley, whatever he has planned for the Schuylkill Valley, coming from Philadelphia up to Reading, you know, in this Schuylkill Valley, this area of land we live in, whatever he has planned for this area, it affects his plan for the world. And whatever his plan is for Parker Ford Church, it affects his plan for the Schuylkill Valley. And whatever his plan is for your life affects his plan for Parker Ford Church. You are an integral piece to what happens here at Parker Ford Church. And it's important for us to know that God the tailor, the one who weaves the story of humanity, and also the one who is weaving in our lives the robes of righteousness that he has for us, it's the same God with the same thread, weaving the same storyline. They're not different, they're the same. And if we believe that our story starts the day we're born, and it ends the day we die, and that we're the ones who write the script, we're never going to understand who we are. And we're never going to understand what our lives are all about. See, this young man, Joseph, his life, it's horrible for a while. Absolutely horrible. All sorts of stuff happening to him. We'll talk next week, the family issues he goes through, about being kicked out of his country and taken to another place, and he's down in a dungeon in a jail, locked up, forgotten, and all of these things. And if he looks at his life from his own perspective. He's a failure. He's a nothing. But when we look at the story of Scripture and we see Joseph, you've got to be kidding me. This man is anything but a failure. It's through him that God saved the birth of the nation of Israel. It's through him that we see a picture of Christ in the Old Testament. It's through Him that we learn lessons about God's character that apply specifically to our lives. And Joseph's life could have looked horrible to him, and maybe at the moment it did. But we should be encouraged over the fact that when our lives look difficult, that there is one weaving a story that started long before we began and will continue on long after we leave this earth. The thread of redemption that started at the beginning 
and that will go all the way to the day of the Lord has an opportunity to run through my life and to run through yours. And God, the creator of the universe, God, the one who is the composer of the song of the Israelites, God, who is the choreographer of the dance of redemption, and God, who is the tailor of that costume that each of us wear in the dance, is willing to do immeasurable things through our lives if we will not take control of the needle and thread, but if we will resign ourselves to the fact that He is the one making the robes. I don't care how I look to others anymore. I don't clothe myself. I'm not the one in charge of this thing. It's not my life and my look and my image that I'm concerned with. I'm concerned with fitting in to the dance that He is designing in the music that He's written, in the story of humanity done by our Creator and our God. This is not just the story of Joseph. It's the story of Jacob. It's the story of Abraham. It's the story of Adam. It's the story of our God. And we get to be a part of it. So this is what we're going to do for the next like seven, eight weeks until Advent. Next thing, next stop is Christmas, okay? And until then, what we're going to be doing is we're going to get in this story and we want to understand it and feel it and know it like tonight. We want to understand and feel the, the, the love feast. We want to understand and know this story because we believe that this story is also a story about us and our relationship with God. And the same threads that he was weaving for, for Joseph, he's weaving for us. And hopefully we'll learn from Joseph about how to respond in the situations. Hopefully we'll learn from Joseph about how to trust God in the situations he finds himself in. Next week we'll talk about God being the tailor when our families screwed up. That'll be a good one. Looking forward to that. All right, let's pray.